Ave Maria Mutual Funds, seeking the moral high ground for 20 years. Pro-life, pro-family, and Catholic values have guided us to the top. She told them, exhume my body. You'll see something really cool. Just pick it up, come on. Kept appearing in their dreams, telling them you need to do this. <laughs> hey, my friends, there are a couple of fascinating stories we're gonna hit today and with the same source, because actually the same young lady who was with Sister Wilhelmina. Remember the founders of the traditional order uh, that was just found to be incorrupt? Well, her one of her former postulants or one of the people who knew her well um, also happens to be the sister of that priest of the fraternity of St. Peter who was murdered. So we're going to get two fascinating stories, all from one source. Stay tuned to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Sasha Keys, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, good. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Sasha, if you could start, tell us about Sister Wilhelmina. Who is she, first of all? And um, if you could tell us the story, what, what happened now with her um, being found to be incorrupt? When I met them, they were still in what they consider the founding years. After they had begun their order of the Oblates of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, and had moved to Shahola uh, to be near the Society of St. John, um, they were an order of priests that were trying to start a religious community of people with a Catholic, um, traditional Catholic atmosphere to raise their family in a safe place. Um, and the sisters were contemplating the idea of starting a school there, but it wasn't feeling like it was the right path for them. So I made my visitation there, and uh, that's where I met Sister Wilhelmina. Um, I was put directly under her care right away, and she taught me to iron. And it's a lot more complicated than you think. Um, I was starting out with just the scapular and the tunic that they wear and after a while she put me on wimples and that was hard and she was not satisfied with my work at all she had to work me through step by step every part of it and if I did it just the way she did it it turned out nicely but if I did one thing wrong the whole thing was crazy because it fits directly to the head um, I learned when I entered the order that you actually have to shape your head very close to the scalp. My hair was shorter, much shorter than yours underneath the wimple because it fits wow. your head, it grows, starts to cut off here. So it makes it kind of hard to breathe. <laughs> you have to cut your hair often um, wow. for it to fit right. Um, and then of course there's the veil that just kind of paints the top, lays down for it. But, uh, wow. Yeah, so she was so Sister Wilhelmina was the foundress of this order? Yes, she was. 
technically, mm-hmm. um, Sister Therese and Sister Anna Marie were already trying to start the order. However, Bishop Timlin felt they needed to have experience, somebody who had a firm foundation and understanding of the process of uh, the different steps of uh, growing as a nun. She needed to have years of experience, and Sister Wilhelmina definitely does have. Okay. In... Go ahead. <laughs> so she, you were telling me earlier, she wasn't, even though she was the foundress, um, she wasn't sort of the head of it. She wasn't the one in charge. No, when I entered the convent, she was the one who did the laundry, the darning of socks and uh, clothing, uh, fixing any hairs or whatnot that was in them. Uh, she also sewed a lot of the uh, habits, but she didn't do a lot of the stuff that the other sisters did. Mostly probably because of age. She was in her 70s. Um, but uh, she she didn't work on the vestments and she didn't make decisions for the sisters. Sister Therese, Sister Elizabeth and Sister Nunciata were the ones who mainly did all the decision making. Um, but Sister Therese, of course, was the superior. We, we didn't call her mother because we weren't in a place where the order was allowed to call her mother. It was still a group of religious women that were together. We hadn't made it to the next process. Because with new orders, there's a lot of processes to go through. Sorry, I'm not very good at technical terms. No, no, that's great. But tell us about, I mean, it's neat to have interacted with a saint. In your case, two saints. But let's talk first about Sister Wilhelmina. Um, God's chosen her in a special way, as he revealed to everyone after the fact, by, by you know, miraculously keeping her body incorrupt. So what was she like? What was it? I, you mentioned that when she was teaching you um, ironing, she'd sometimes be um, rather strict with you or, or making sure it was done in the right way. How did that go? And, and in retrospect, what do you think of it now? Oh, gosh. As strict as she was about doing things right, she and herself was not a strict person. The way I would describe her was a feisty, sassy, tiny nun. She was very small, um, much shorter than I am, um, and I'm 5'3". She was definitely under four feet, the four foot, uh, under the five foot range in the four foot range. Um, and it wasn't all because she hunched a little bit. It was definitely that she was a tiny person. But for all her tininess, her character made up for that. She was very spunky and liked to sass as Dutrez a lot um, in, in a kind way. She was never mean about it. She just, it was mostly making fun of herself in a sense and her shortcomings, which speaks highly of her humility. Um, she taught me to read publicly because when I became a novice, uh, I needed to read the Martyrology and the Rule of St. Benedict during Prime. Uh, we said all the divine office in Latin. Um, and mm. I struggled a lot, especially with the Martyrology. There are some very big names. 
Um, and I'm reading it aloud. I was like, whoa, what am I doing? I've never done this before. And being that in her prior order, she was a teacher for many years. She thrived on teaching. She was very good. Mm-hmm. One of the better teachers that I've ever had. And uh, she was able to help me to project my voice, to pronounce the words, to break them up, and to learn to look ahead as I'm reading. And she also decided that since my writing wasn't so good, she helped me with that a little bit. In the Order of St. Benedict, we always take reading and learning and just expanding our knowledge in, in part of what we are. I mean, it's just, and I say we are, because in a sense, I never really left that frame of mind because I still do a lot of the things that I did in the convent. Uh, one of the things she was most keen that all the sisters do was to read the book, um, St. Louis de Montfort, uh, Slave of Mary. And that is built into what we do in the order. Every part of our lives fears us for being a slave of Our Lady. Um, so there's a little bell that rings every hour. And if we're not saying the divine office, we fall on our knees and re-offer our lives to Our Lady as slaves to Our Lady. And um, that is just part of everything that is with the sisters. They're very much in following Our Lady's life and and her wonderful work with the apostles uh, because the entire dedication of the order is for priests, which is amazing because uh, Father Kenneth is very much a part of all of that. Um, We pray for the priests, we make vestments for priests, we would um, have a place for them to come and stay and rejuvenate and be able to go back out and do their work again. And that was all Sister Wilhelmina who brought that about. I mean, that was what she felt we were called to do. And that started long before she even started this order. It was uh, back in the time when she realized that she was heading down the wrong path. The sisters were taking their habit and changing it. Uh, The Mm -hmm. hair started showing and instead of it completely covering the forehead. These skirts became shorter. She talked about her frustrations with sisters were even curling their hair underneath their their wimple. And she was like, I can't understand it. Um, But she had a complete change of heart and was able to express that. But when she met uh, the Pope at one point, uh, Pope John Paul II, and... uh, there, there was letters that were back and forth between her and his secretary at times. Uh, and they were encouraging her to stay strong with her vocation and to uh, hold true to her wanting the habit. Hmm. It had a lot of contention in her order, her previous order. Um, and that is why Bishop Timlin felt she was the perfect choice was because here these two nuns were, Sister Therese and Sister Anna Marie, wanting to start a traditional order to help the fraternity of St. Peter. And here this nun was trying so hard to remain traditional in every aspect of life, including the Mass. And he felt she was a perfect fit. When Sister Therese and Sister Anna Marie came to visit, it, she did not feel it was a perfect fit. 
And they went back and they're like, Bishop, this isn't going to work. She's not right. And uh, meanwhile, she's like, this is perfect. I'm going. Told her superiors, I'm going to go. This is perfect for me. They're like, okay, we'll start looking at the process. She packed her bags and she left. No permissions. Um, I know that a lot of people say that she had permission, but that happened after Bishop Timlin had to smooth the way for her a little bit. But she showed up on their doorstep and she's like, I'm here. And the way she tells me, she's like, when I was walking out the door, I saw some of the sisters that had been particularly mean to me. And I told them, I'm going. I found the right order for me and I'm going to go and I'm going to like wear the habit and you guys can do whatever you want. I'll see ya. And that, that was just the way she was. Very sassy to the end. Um, when Amazing. I went to... Yeah. When I went to visit her after her body was exhumed, um, it was incredible. The smell of almost a myrrh oil. I wouldn't say it was an incense because it wasn't smoky. And I wouldn't say it was floral, but it gave you a sense of floral. It was just no flower could make that smell. It came from her body and just filled the church. Um, and as I knelt in the church where her body was right beside her and uh, was praying for her and for, I don't know, just a, a sense that she would understand why I left when I left because I wasn't able to say goodbye to everyone. Um, I heard her voice and she told me that um, it was all right. The sisters were sad for a time, but they are all right now. They understood why I left. And I was like, sister? And she's like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> the way she talked to me. I mean, it wasn't like I could hear the voice. It was more of an internal kind of voice, the way I sometimes hear my brother. Because um, he's told me a few things, and I've gotten to hear his voice again, which is cool. Um, but Sister Wilhelmina was as sassy as ever, and she told me that she would be with me like my brother's with me, and uh, that she would answer my prayers. I just had to pray for it, ask for it. I get that a lot. I, I've got mm. to remember, ask for the things that I'm wanting answered. So she's definitely yeah. with me. Yeah. Apparently, she did that with the sisters. She told them, exhume my body. You'll see something really cool. Just dig it up. Come on. Kept appearing in their dreams, telling them, you need to do this. <laughs> Listen, dear friends, long gone are the days where you and I could just simply trust what the nightly news broadcasted or consider what we read in the local newspaper as the truth. The mainstream media deceives the world, telling them, bold-faced lies and often using fear to scare and control the masses. Now, how many of you are already seeing your friends and family back to grabbing their masks or scheduling another vaccine due the, to the uptake the media's covering about COVID or something else? Well, we've had enough. We can't let the mainstream media shape our culture and influence our family and friends. We must make sure that the truth is available to all to remind and warn the world of the lies that are continuing to be spread. 
So today at LifeSite, we kick off our fall campaign, and I need your help to strengthen LifeSite's voice for truth, to keep LifeSite News fully operational in the United States, Canada, and around the world. We must raise 500000 by October the 1st. So please pause this video now. Pray right now about making a contribution, and then do as you are called to do by the Lord. Thank you for your attention. And now, back to the program. It was totally stunning to me, because you know that the church is in this big debate about the Latin Mass and about traditional orders, and there's a lot of them being shut down and, and so on and so forth. In the middle of all of that happening, there is this, like, God votes on the issue. Uh, <laughs> exhumed is the body of a nun who couldn't stand that they were going anti-tradition, so came and founded another order that's traditional, and he makes her body incorrupt. Um, that was just so neat. Um, your story is stunningly fascinating. Um, there's a lot of questions I have about Sister Wilhelmina and about what life was like with her. What was she like in prayer? Were you able to experience that with her at all? Yeah, she was very humble in prayer. Um, her poems speak very much of her prayers. Um, she actually had visits of Our Lady. They, she, Our Lady came to her on more than one occasion. This I didn't know during my time with her um, since reading her book, and I still haven't finished it yet. Um, because I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. I'm going to share this. I'll call everybody, and then I'm like, oh, I've run out of time to read now. Um, but there's so many fascinating things in her life. I would highly recommend reading her book, which the sisters have on their website. Um, she... She was visited by Our Lady in 1926 for the first time, which was when she was two years old. And Our Lady was all in white, and it was on um, one of the days that Our Lady appeared to the children of Fatima on uh, mm -hmm. Saturday devotion. So Our Lady didn't really speak to her so much as just gave her the sense that she was protected and that uh, love and love and just this beautiful overwhelming sense of joy for her and it turned her world there were times when she would know things um, she knew that her brothers needed prayers right away and ran to her mother crying, saying, Mom, Mom, we need to pray. We need to say the rosary right now. And her mom, realizing something was happening, prayed the rosary with her daughter. And uh, later when the brothers came in, she's like, okay, what happened? And they're like, nothing, everything was fine. And she's like, no, 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 what happened? And they're like, okay, well, the boat capsized and we almost drowned, but we made it to shore. I don't know how we made it to shore, but we made it to shore. <laughs> So, yeah, her prayers are very powerful, even in life. Um, she would always fold her hands like this and hunch her shoulders in and bow her head. And I started noticing that when the host was raised, she had this practice of raising her eyes with the host 
and then bringing them back down and just kind of internalizing the joy that God was there and she was about to receive. And the same thing when he puts the chalice again. And all the sisters started doing it, following her, her example. And I just loved that we all did this. And I think everyone at uh, St. Michael's noticed that we did this and um, started emulating that in a sense. And I do that still to this day. Um, just this overwhelming, you know, the actions of what we do help to remind us that the presence of God in the tabernacle is true and real. And by taking an action every time we go, it kind of reminds us all again just how real his presence is. Uh, it's like seeing the uh, Veil Removed movie that they put out about the Blessed Sacrament, seeing all the angels, Lady, and how when he raises that hose, he changes from the priest to God himself in the form of the second person. And it's just a beautiful reminder of how our actions in remind us of the spiritual side of things. And that is what she did. Every action she took was very much reminded in prayer. She Maybe. wasn't always able to stand with all the sisters because she was older and had health issues. But she was so frustrated about that. She wanted so much to stand with the sisters, do everything the sisters did. She wanted to just keep going. She's like, I can do it, sister. I know I can. And Sister Therese would be like, no. She would listen to Sister Therese. She would be obedient. Mm -hmm. no, not always, though. There was one time we were praying, uh, offering ourselves in um, as a slave to Our Lady, as we did every hour. And uh, when I stood up, sister came out of her room and she's like, sister, sister, oh, Benedici day. Because I had to have permission to speak. And I would always ask permission like this to my superior. And the superior would say, Benedici day. And she'd say, Benedici day. I've got a poem. You had to read this. So I read the poem. It was beautiful. It happens to be on the very cover, just on the inside cover of her book. That is the poem she read to me. It's beautiful. And so her poems have a simplisticness to them that's just even a child can understand. Reminds me of the poems my mother used to say. And after reading it, we were talking about it. And then Sister Therese comes up the stairs and she looks at Sister Wilmina and Sister Wilmina goes, oh. and she grabs her prayer book and she turns and she kind of tiptoes into her room. Like, uh-oh, I got in trouble. <laughs> and I look at Sister Therese and she puts her hand on her hip. And so I go down on the floor and I kiss the floor. And um, turns out she was supposed to be napping. Uh, <laughs> there were times that she was naughty. <laughs> I would say I was much worse than she was, but uh, I, I think both of us had a childlike <clears throat> sense about us in the convent, and uh, we both kind of stayed true to that childlike innocence during that entire time. I think that's one of the reasons why we get along so well. We, we got into Beautiful. trouble times. One of the things that I find so fascinating is that um, she was, as you said, sassy or, or, or um, joyful kind of mischievous. 
And then when she talks to you from heaven, she's the same. <laughs> and that's great because I think a lot of people assume that, you know, in heaven we'll become like automatons, we'll lose our personalities, but they're still there. I, I you know, it's like I can't wait to hear what nickname our Lord will have. Our Lord was very fond of nicknames, sons of sons of thunder and and uh, all this stuff. And it'd be, you know, that's great. The saints still have their um, same disposition or whatever that they have uh, when they're here, the same personality, if you will, uh, even mm -hmm. even in heaven. So that's a really neat insight. Um, before we before we move to your brother, I wanted to ask you because you're obviously not a nun. You are you have five children of your own right now. Um, how did that happen? Why did you leave the convent? You seem to be so happy there. What was going on? Well, when I became a novice, everything was still wonderful, and I found myself entering a deeper state of understanding and prayer, which. I've been trying hard to reach back to that point. It took me a while, but I, I think I'm getting there. Um, it was a new understanding and a joy in actually experiencing the negative side of things. And hard to, to describe, but there was joy in suffering, not in going out and trying to hurt yourself, no. It was more like um, I get punished and there was a sense of joy in the humiliation of the punishment or in the experience that this would help me with my humility or there was a joy in the humility. I, it's hard to describe. There was a joy in it that is beyond anything in this life. And when I experienced that, I also came to an understanding that this is momentary. This is to prepare you for time when our Lord wasn't going to be talking to you. A lot of the saints talk about it, particularly uh, St. Therese and Mother Teresa. Um, they talk about this darkness of the soul and always preceding the darkness of the soul is a moment of euphoria where God helps them to experience the good things to help them understand that the time of darkness is uh, painful, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Just remember those good times. Um, so I went through the darkness of the soul. And during that darkness, a pain erupted in my chest. And I found myself laying down on the floor of the convent. And it was very painful. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. And eventually, after experiencing several of those episodes, the pain went to my stomach. And while the pain in my chest would go away, the pain in my stomach did not go away. And um, for months, I endured the pain. We tried chiropractic care. And then the sisters brought me to the doctor. And the doctor did CAT scans and many different tests, blood tests. And they couldn't find anything. And they said, try going to a psychiatrist and see what they say. Mm. I went and had several visits with a psychiatrist that was recommended by the diocese and he, he gave me a clean bill of health um, said I was remarkably strong so 
we assumed that it was possible that our Lord was just giving me, uh, how do I refer to it, the endurance tests of the novitiate. I was a novice. Um, as a novice, you're given trials and tribulations to endure. As the sisters look on and see if you will withstand the test that God sends. Uh, we assumed that it was possible these tests were part of that. So for the next several months, I kept enduring the pain. And then one day something strange happened. I was punished. I, I got to say, it was a lot like uh, Sister Maria from The Sound of Music. I would sing on stairs and climb trees, and I had hairs in my uniform, and Sometimes I would forget to put my uniform away and I wasn't exactly perfect. Um, I had a wild side that I couldn't seem to tame. The sisters all found it in good fun, but it was not very mature of me. Um, so one of my punishments was rather interesting and it did follow the rule of St. Benedict. I was told to sit in the laity's pew, away from the sisters for prayer. And I was to sit separate from the sisters for mealtime. During that time, it came to me that I should go home. And it was a very difficult decision. But I pushed myself to go up to the sisters and while they were having a meeting and I told them I needed to go home. The next day, before any of the sisters woke up, my parents came to pick me up, and I went home. And it happened to be my birthday, which was hmm. completely forgotten by me in the midst of all of the other stuff. Eight days later, um, something incredible happened. My mother had a baby, and this would be uh, my half-brother because we are a yours, mine, and ours family. She asked me to be there, which was very different. Um, she had a midwife there who for the first time described in a Catholic way what giving birth really was and how Our Lady felt as a tabernacle and the connection she had to her son in a rather spiritual sense. I've recently come across information that says it's not just spiritual, but physical, that we literally have a piece of our child that is left within us, just as they have a piece of us left in our child. And that there is going to always be a physical and spiritual connection with our child. Our Lady was literally a tabernacle for her whole life because you literally cannot take that part of our Lord out of her. That's probably why she was assumed body and soul into heaven. It's just one of the many beautiful things that I was shown in that moment. And it changed my view on motherhood completely. And yes, I was reminded by my family many times you need a husband too. <laughs> I decided to just try working with kids for a while. So I became a nanny. 
And eventually, after college and trying out many different things in life and traveling many places, I received a letter from my husband-to-be, and we wrote many letters back and forth and eventually got married, and now I have five kids. And they're all wonderful kids. <laughs> Amazing. So that's wonderful things in store for me. Hey, my friends, now is the time to stand up and fight. We are just about to have the Synod on Synodality, and everything that you've seen indicates that it's going to be an absolute disaster. We have Father James Martin as a personal appointee of the Pope speaking at it. We've got Cardinal Supic, Cardinal Tobin. These picks of the Pope to engage in this Synod are indicative of where we're going. We're going into heresy. And at these times of great crisis, the church, especially those called in the laity to work for the glory of Christ and his church, are called to gather and strategize. Back in 2014, LifeSite launched something called Rome Life Forum. It was a gathering at that point of some 75 life and family leaders from all around the world to strategize as to what we could do. And when we gathered, the majority of people were most concerned about what? About Pope Francis, about what was going on in Rome. But this was 2014, but the life and family leaders saw it first. Now, a decade on, we are confronted with some of the most severe challenges the church has ever faced. And so, our tradition at LifeSite is to continue with Rome Life Forum, which has continued every year until we had to take a break over COVID because we weren't permitted, but we're starting it up again. Please come, if you feel so called, to Rome, October 31st and November 1st, the very end of the Synod on Synodality, and uh, we'll be there to strategize with His Eminence, with His Excellency, and with many life and family leaders from around the world. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. So let's talk about this half-brother of yours. Um, what was his name and what did he do? Father Kenneth Walker. And uh, to me, he's Kenny and will always be Kenny. I, I love his name, Father Kenneth Walker. But it's hard to break the habit of Kenny when you spent so much time with him. I met him when he was eight. Um, the first thing he said to me, was if you take your hands like this and you go really fast like this and you stand on the balls of your toes, the front part of your foot, you can run faster than any other way. And then he proceeded to show me. He was a goofy kid. Um, and then we proceeded to become best friends and closer siblings. Even before our parents married or received their annulments and then married, which is a miraculous story in itself because St. Joseph had a huge part in that. They got married on his feast day. Um, we were already siblings. I never saw him in any other way than a sibling from the moment I met him. And we played, instead of house, we played church. I was the choir director and he was the priest. <laughs> and my sister Cassie was the congregation much to her dismay. 
I wanted to sometimes play the priest part. Like I, I'll be honest, that one seemed like the more exciting part. But since a girl can't be a priest, and since I was so good with music, choir director for me. I'm in the choir to this day. Um, and he made such a good priest. We went on many adventures as children, uh, many of which my mother would probably have a lot of gray hair about. We climbed rock cliffs. We were in the mountains. We did all kinds of things. Built forts on the side of those cliffs and even built fires on them, following safety rules. We were always very careful about that. Um, we had this fascination with uh, a mountain just across from his grandfather. And he had this telescope. And so we'd heard that there was gold possibly over there. So we started observing this area and discovered that it was the gold mine. And we would watch the people go to and from and take notes. And we were very scientific about the whole thing. But it was our fascination for over a year straight. And we had the logs and logs of this. <laughs> we spent so much time doing that. But that was the just one of the many things we enjoyed doing as children. We used to say that he was so smart that he could spell the world. And then I turned to him and say, Kenny, spell the world. And then, of course, being the goofball that he is, he'd spell W-O-R-L-D, world. Um, but he was really smart. I was two years older than him, and he and I learned everything together. He was smart enough to jump those two grades and learn right along with me. When I entered the convent, he was preparing for college. And uh, up to Barry's Bay, Ontario, he went to Our Lady Seat of Wisdom Academy. He loved it there, loved every minute. A lot of the students I met after, because I went to the same college after he had gone, said that despite the fact that he took on excess classes that were beyond the norm, he would also take the time to teach his fellow students. Many of the girls would be like, he is just a doll because he would sit down and explain things to us that we just couldn't get. He would test us and help us memorize things. I don't know how he had the time to learn everything he was supposed to learn, but he did. And he was constantly seen running from one location to another. So a lot of the students would call call him Kenny LaFlash. A lot of the students that knew him were still going to college when I went. So it was fun to see just how much of a legend my brother was at the college. Um, during my time, I think the only thing that I became known for is the dancing, because I started a, a swing club. I even taught the dean how to dance, uh, Mr. Meenan. He, he was very good. I loved history with him. He, he brought it to life with his Irish accent or Scottish. I couldn't tell you which it was because it kind of <laughs> switched back and forth. But um, when Kenny entered the seminary, actually, I think I have it written here in just a moment. He had an application in which he says, God, in his infinite love, desires all men to be saved 
and so achieve their true end. Along with the church, then, I am deeply grieved by these errors concerning the nature and dignity of man, accepted by so many people in the world, which deviate them from their supernatural end. In full view of the situation in the world, then the only vocation that I could be satisfied with as a work would be one that would be dedicated to bringing people to salvation in whatever way God wills for me to do so. This work is best carried out by the priesthood, which is instituted by Christ specifically for the care of souls, for by, the, by means of the sacraments and teaching of the faith to people, the, the people receive both the truths of the faith and the sanctifying grace needed for spiritual life. That is everything. Those words are exactly who he is in life and in death. When he was alive, he would visit people's home, bringing the statue of Our Lady, <clears throat> the Pilgrim of Fatima statue, and he would bring it to the people's home and pray with them. He was very supportive of the Knights of Columbus. He even did a few talk shows on a radio. I listened to it even now over and over, talking about Our Lady of Fatima. I'm told there are many more, but I haven't yet found them. Mm -hmm. I hope to eventually get a hold of the radio station that interviewed him. I'm told there are up to 30 different interviews that he took. Um, there's also a YouTube video of a homily that he did, that they recorded, which is neat because you get to see him talk. Um, How old after, was, was Father Kenny at his ordination? I want to say 20, 24. I know that he was the youngest ever at the time to be a priest for that order. He was very young because he went straight from an, a year early to be done with high school, straight into college. And from college, he went straight to the seminary. He wanted to go at first straight from high school to the fraternity, but they wisely insisted that he needed a little bit of worldwise knowledge, and they suggested college was a good way to do that. Um, he was very young, and my mother made most of his vestment. Hmm. Uh, they created his uh, chalice using stones that they bought off of eBay. They're beautiful stones. It's amazing what you find there. Um, I remember helping my mom with the vestments a little bit, but she wanted the honor mostly to just do them all to herself. So other than asking for help occasionally, how do you do this? She did it all herself, which is a beautiful work. My mom is a, every bit the seamstress that I learned to be in the convent because a lot of the work that we did in the convent was uh, sewing investments and alternates. Um, when he died, he was 28 years old. I have to double check that because I forget. If, if you wouldn't mind, go through that. And I apologize if there's pain associated with that. But if you can tell us the story of how, how did he die? Well, I see. The 
building had been closed for the night and there was a knocking on the door and Father Tara went to answer. And it was an older man who wanted drugs or whatever he could get his hands on to get drugs. Uh, he began beating on Father Tara. Father Tara collapsed and he went in search of whatever he could find the best. Kenny was in his room and heard the noise and went to his door. And that's when he met up with the guy. But by that point, he'd gotten a hold of the gun. Father Tara had a gun for safety that he had been trying to get to. Unfortunately, by that point, it was a little too late. He had already hit very severely. So now this guy had the gun. And uh, I know that there was a struggle with my brother. My brother, he did have martial art training, but I don't think he used much of it in harming him. I think it was more in the sense of trying to detain him. Um, because it was all in his fingers that you can see the bruising on, nowhere else. Um, so he ended up getting shot. I couldn't tell you specifically where, um, but I know that it was severe enough that he bled out very quickly. The man at that point ran away and Father Terror came too. He called 911 and then proceeded to give my brother the last rites because there was no stopping the bleeding. He was trying, but there was no stop. At that point, he doesn't even remember how far he made it through the last rites before he lost consciousness again. Uh, it took a long time for him, to, for Father Tara to heal because there were so many scars on his head. Um, when I saw my brother, it was after the funeral mass that took place in Arizona. We weren't able to make it out there. Um, but they had a whole funeral mass there. And then we had another funeral mass up here in Maple Hill area. And uh, his body was buried for a short time on Calvary, um, which is uh, in St. Mary's. And, uh, there's a statue there to signify where he was there for a while. And eventually, with the excess money that was given to my family for plane flights yet to the funeral because most of my family is not well enough to drop everything and come. The money was able to get them here. Um, we had an abundance, so we gave it to the fraternity to work on building a uh, a, a place to bury buried it. Um, then eventually his body was moved down there along with one other priest that already passed away. So now I believe there are three priests at this point, but there were two when he was there. It's a beautiful place right there at the mm -hmm. seminary. Now you said before that your, your brother had spoken to you also from, from heaven. Um, how was that? And what was that? Let's see, it first began not with his voice, but with a rainbow. And I was 21, 
I told him and my mother that the only thing I wanted was a rainbow. And I got that. And then I started seeing rainbows all over the place every time I would talk. And I started asking for things, asking for prayers for people. And I would get rainbows in return. Most of the time, they, we started off in the sky, and sometimes they would be just somebody sent me randomly a picture of a rainbow. And sometimes it would just be my kids showing me, look, Mom, I drew a picture of a rainbow. <laughs> and then Lorraine came to visit me. She was my next-door neighbor's aunt. She and I had become friends. She told me that she was dying, that she had cancer riddled to her whole body. And worse yet, it was in her brain, not operable. And she was so sad because she wouldn't have the time to get things right. She said, I, I barely begun my bucket. So I told her about my brother, and I told her to pray to him, and that I would too. So two weeks later, past the point when she was supposed to have died, she shows up. She said, guess what? I went to the doctor because I felt something change, and there was no tumor in my head. It was gone. The cancer was completely gone in my head. It's still in her body. But she had time. She finished everything on her bucket list and more. She had a conversion of the soul. She said she understood things about her faith that she had not been understanding before. And that she finally was able to make things right, go to confession, do exactly what Kenny's vocation was for. And when she passed away, um, there was a rose bush that was at the bottom of my next door neighbor's driveway. And he has no idea how it got there. He assumes somebody just brought it from the funeral house or something. He doesn't. So he planted it. But of all places, he planted it in the garden that doesn't grow anything. I mean, he's tried many years to grow things, but nothing grows there. That year it grew. And what was a yellow rose bush that had miniature flowers, became a rose bush of many colors with a rainbow array of beautiful roses that were normal size roses. They were larger. And they bloomed through the winter in Kansas. Hmm. All the way through the winter and it blooms to this day. It doesn't bloom every winter now, but it blooms every summer. And it's still alive and doing well. Wow. Yep. When I first heard my brother's voice, I was at the park and my brother was going through a very difficult time because he was getting an annulment um, from his marriage that was not working out. I was pretty sad for him. This and I was very, who was this? Another brother of mine, my younger oh, brother, really? Matt. Right. There are nine of us all together. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, he was going through a divorce. He had no children. It was just him and his ex-wife. And uh, they were working on an annulment presently. 
And I saw another girl and I heard Kenny's voice and he said, he's going to marry her and it's going to be good. She's going to heal him. Now, she was in the same convent that I was. Hmm. Her name is Claire. And they are married now. They are very happy. And it wow. turns out she healed him. Kenny knew. I've heard his voice a few times. And it's always with little messages that are positive and good. Just to remind me that he's there. Sometimes he's like, why haven't you talked to me? <laughs> I'm still waiting here. I've got a lot of things that I can be doing. You've got to send me more souls. I'm getting bored. <laughs> he doesn't like when he has a lot, doesn't have enough souls to be working on. He likes to be given a lot of work. I, I have a Facebook page that I started for prayers for him. Sometimes people put prayers that have been answered. Sometimes it's just asking for people to pray beginning for this intention. Um, there's one family that she had met with a sister that had told her about Penny. And then immediately after she had met with a sister and heard his story, she went outside and there was a rainbow. So she took that as a sign to call her dad and tell him about it. Her dad was suffering from cancer. And so he took that to mean that they should pray to him about that. They went outside and on a clear Texas sunny day, there was a rainbow in the sky. Hmm. No cloud. <clears throat> Shortly thereafter, another of his children contacted me to tell me that she had a rainbow baby coming, which means she had lost a child and that she was now going to have another child. Hmm. And she'd been waiting a while to see if this child would stay. And to my last knowledge, she, the baby was still there. So she was telling me about it. His cancer's on the men. He, he's a slow healing, but it is a healing. But for fast healing, there's a friend of mine who was in the convent, uh, not in the convent, um, in the Benedictine monastery in Clear Creek, named Dominic. He had cancer and also a very short time. His family prayed and prayed. And suddenly and amazingly, the cancer disappeared. There's documentation and everything. And that is a pretty cool thing. They've got the doctors saying, we don't know why, we don't know how, but the cancer's gone miraculously. So, and wow. he's well and creating a series of films for true devotion to the Blessed Sacrament this time. Hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing those videos when they come out they're going to be on Eucharistic miracles and just how amazing God is there. Sasha, I want to thank you for sharing with us about your interaction with the saints. I mean, they're not proclaimed saints yet, but they're obviously um, very real, very alive, and uh, very much helping. It's, it's neat to know that they want to hear from us. They want to uh, engage with us and do things, as you said. Um, 
where can we find uh, your Facebook page and um, how can we get in touch? Well, let's see. Uh, there's two different sites for Kenny on Facebook. Uh, if you just put down Father Kenneth Walker prayers answered, that would be mine. Or just Father Kenneth Walker and both of them will show up and you could join both of them. Um, there's a man named John who started the other one. And it is he that I rely on when people ask me for relics of pennies. Um, because he does send out a little holy card with a very small piece of the relic on there. Um, at this point, I think they're going through his uh, cassock and using that, that as a relic. Um, the original cassock that he had been wearing that night, I believe that my mother has most. She safeguards it close at home. Um, she donated his vestments after the priest that needed it. There have been new vocations who, because of his story, because of parents who have prayed to him to help their sons, they discover suddenly that they want to give their lives to our Lord in the fraternity and, or in, as a priest, and they will go to the seminary. So it's amazing. Um, but it, every single miracle that I've ever heard has been for the sole purpose of salvation. It may not be for complete healing. It may just be for the time to get yourself right with God. But it's the time that we need, and that is what really counts. And it is what his dream was. And I'm so happy to see that it didn't stop. Amen to that. <laughs> Thank you, Sasha, for blessing us so very much. God bless you. Thank you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.